You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Turn to John 10. John 10. It's already tricky like that. I made you stand for a while this morning, too, so I apologize. But hey, I'm getting a workout tonight. Uh, just, a, just a minute ago, my watch came on and said, looks like you're working out. Would you like to record this outdoor run? <laughs> and I said, thank you. I will record it. I'll take any steps I can get, you know. So uh, if I have to work out, so do you. Okay. John chapter 10 is where we'll be. And and this is, uh, you know, Jesus Christ is really becoming well-known as we get to John chapter 10. He's just healed a blind man, and, and the Pharisees are asking him about the healing of the blind man, and, and, and it was the Sabbath day that he healed, and so controversy is starting to surround him. And we get to John 10, and this is really where it gets heavy and gets real, if you want to say it that way. Look at verse 22. It, it says in John 10, 22, and it was at Jerusalem... The Feast of the Dedication, and it was winter. And, and by the way, the Feast of the Dedication, uh, that would be actually be Hanukkah, uh, what it would, is what it would be called now. And when it says it was winter, um, that's more likely just talking about the kind of weather rather than the season. So it was Hanukkah, and the Feast of Dedication, it was winter. And Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him. So it doesn't look like Jesus is the one looking for the confrontation here. He goes, he's just going to the temple and the Jews surround him and said unto him, how long dost thou makest to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I, I told you and ye believe not. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me, but ye believe not because you're not of my, you're not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I love this verse. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I love that, that. Those are great verses about eternal security. And it gets us excited, you know, that Jesus says, my sheep are in my hand, and I'm in my Father's hand. There's no way you're going to get into that. Eternal, we're eternally secure. But then he adds that one phrase there at the end of uh, verse 30. It says, I and my father are one. And I wonder if they would have been okay. And they would have been upset with what he said until he said, I and my father are one. You know what he just said? I am God. I'm the son of God. And look what their response is. Verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him saying, I love this. For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou being a man makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. He's referring to an Old Testament passage. If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the father has sanctified and sent into the world. Thou blasphemest because I said I am the son of God. And he's saying my claim isn't all that much different from, 
from prophecy. Are you, I mean, are you going to stone me for blasphemy when similar things were said about the fact that we are the sons of God or we're the children of God? Is it really all that different? He says in verse 37, if I do not the works of my father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. Therefore, they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. If Jesus doesn't want to get caught, he won't. And went away again beyond Jordan and into the place where John at first baptized. And there he abode and many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all the things that John spake of this man were true. And many believed on him there. I'm going to focus tonight on just some thoughts from this passage that I think would be good for our church family um, as just a reminder, a calibration of how we should approach life and ministry at Eastside Baptist Church. And we're not in a series right now. We're, we're out of the book of Nehemiah. And so I plan to use at least a couple of weeks to just go through some thoughts that have been in my mind and in my heart. And tonight I'm, I'm titling this message, uh, Benefits Without Demands. Benefits Without Demands. And that is a problem in our culture. And I don't want it to be a problem in our church too. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, thank you for the, your word. I pray that you bless the reading of it. Help us tonight to be clear in your point to us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would use this. Lord, oh, oh just speak. Use your, the word, illuminate it. God, we, we need you. And, and we, don't, we don't pretend that this is a profitable time unless the Holy Spirit is illuminating it for us. Lord, we ask you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So by the time we get here to John 10, Jesus obviously has become a somewhat of a controversial figure. And in, in the beginning of, of John chapter 10, he claimed to be the good shepherd. And we're not going to look at that necessarily, but look at what they're saying after that message at the beginning of John 10. Look at verse 19. It says, there was a division, therefore, again, among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, he hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, these are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? So he has these, he's saying, I'm the good shepherd. He's making claims to, uh, to connecting him to God. He's, he's saying that he's not of this world. And, and some are saying, uh, he, that can't be right. He has to have a devil. He, others are saying he's out of his mind. Uh, and they were saying he doesn't, but others on the other side were saying, but he doesn't speak like somebody that has a devil. He's not acting like, he's, what is somebody with a devil do these kind of good works? And in verse 22, it says, and it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication of Hanukkah there. And it was winter and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, how long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. So they're talking about Jesus uh, they're talking about him after his last message. And then obviously there's kind of, they're getting stirred up about who he is. And so he comes into to the temple one day during this feast of dedication and they surround him. And he, he didn't come. It doesn't say that he was there teaching. It doesn't say that he was there proclaiming anything. It just says that he walked into the temple and they were ready for him. They've been talking about him. They want to ask him some questions and they surround him and they say, don't wait, make us wait anymore. Just come out and tell us, are you the Messiah? Are you the son of God? So Christ's answer he gives is, is very plain. We already read it 
And, and he says in verse 25, I told you, ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. He says, it doesn't really, it's not really mattering what I say here. Just look at my works. Look what I've been doing. Has anybody else done the kind of things that I've been doing? He said, you don't believe because you're not my sheep, as I said unto you. Basically, you're not saved, so you can't see it. Yeah, you, you just have chosen not to believe, and, and it's because of your own choice to be blind to it, even though it's very obvious. It, he gives them then the doctrine of eternal security, and he's saying once a sheep is with the shepherd, it's not going to get lost. And I, I love the way that he talks about that. I wish I could focus more on that. But then he gets down to verse 30, and that's when he says that real controversial statement, I and my father are one. And of course, they don't respond well to this. They get angry, they get upset, and they pick up rocks. Now, let me, let me just remind you, they're in the temple. They are literally in God's house, and they've picked up rocks right there in the temple. And they're going to, if they can, they're going to kill Jesus, they think, right there in the temple. That's how angry they are at this blasphemy. And it's a feast week. It's a time of religious seriousness. It's a holy week, and yet they want to kill Jesus Christ right there in the temple. And it's interesting they wanted Jesus to tell them plainly, didn't they? They said, tell us plainly. Just come out and say it. And he did. And they pick up rocks to kill him. Uh, you know, don't ask for the truth unless you really want to hear it. So why were the Jews upset? Well, they were looking for the Messiah. Okay, they believed that he would come based on the prophecies of the Old Testament and that Christ's words and works, and that, that they, his words and works didn't dispute his claims but most of them rejected Christ. So why? Well, I've talked about this before. I think the answer is obvious is that he wasn't the kind of king they were expecting. You know, he didn't come. They wanted a king that would come in and they wanted a king that would wipe out the Romans and set up his kingdom rule right there with an iron fist. They wanted a king that would come down and pat them on the back for being good Pharisees and say, you're doing a great job. You're very religious. It looks really good on the outside. Thanks for setting up this nice religious system that you've got going. That's what they wanted. They wanted a king to come do things their way. One that would come and submit to their way instead of them submitting to him. But that's not how Jesus Christ came. He didn't come uh, submitting to what everybody wanted. He didn't come, you know, testing. I need to use this arm. He didn't come testing my shoulder. I keep forgetting my shoulder is as limited motion. So I just, I just tried to do one of these and I couldn't get my arm up. So he didn't come te testing the wind. He didn't come like what's, what's happening in a lot of modern churches today. He didn't come asking what the people want. He didn't come asking what they want religion to look like. No, he came teaching humility. He came teaching meekness. He came teaching servitude. He came teaching inward righteousness instead of outward performance. And he came doing things the way they didn't expect him. He didn't cater to their wishes. He came doing things as they should be done. Instead of lowering the standard to make them happy, he actually raised the bar. And they didn't like that. You know, so they take up stones to kill him. And it says in, in verse 32, uh, he says, Jesus answered, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do ye stone me? And that's really the question that sets up the truth I want to present tonight. In verse 33, I, this is really interesting. In verse 33, I want you to think about how they, how they answer him. Again, Jesus says, many good works have I showed thee, have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do ye stone me? And they, the Jews answered him, I can see them. If they've got a rock in their hand 
and uh, let's say that they've got a rock in their hand and they're like, we're going to stone you. And Jesus says, okay, but which works are you going to stone me for? And I can imagine that they're like, well, you know, they put the rock down a little bit and they say, well, no, it's, it's for a good work. For a good work, we stone thee not. You know, almost as if to say, um, we like the good works. Oh, no, we, we like what you're doing. We like the fact that you're healing. We like the fact that you're helping us. No, no, it's not for the good works. No, Jesus, don't get that wrong. It's not for the good works. No, it's for blasphemy. It, it's because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. That's why we're going to stone you. We, you know, the works are okay. See, but consider this. If Jesus Christ had come doing things their way, they would have had no problem with his claim to be God. See, I believe the Jews would have embraced Jesus if he had come with a sword. That's what they were looking for. But when he didn't do things their way, they rejected him, but they didn't reject everything. See, they were fine with the miracles. They were fine with being helped. They, were, they didn't mind the works. The, the good works actually were benefits to them. See, I would imagine that some of them probably had family members that had been healed. I would, I would imagine that the miracles probably were boosting the morale of the nation. I would imagine they were fine with the benefits. That's not the reason they rejected him. They just didn't like the fact that he was doing things differently than they expected, which meant they were going to have to change their thinking and change their methods and change their behavior and their approach to God. And in order to accept his claim to be Christ... They were going to have to admit they were doing it wrong and submit to his way. So here it is. And, and I want to just lay this out and then we'll try to make some applications tonight. It's simple truth. But they were happy with the benefits. But they didn't like the demands. They were happy with the benefits. But they didn't like the demands. See, Christ came demanding that they change the way they did religion. He came preaching internal relationship instead of external religion. He came teaching submission instead of domination. His message was the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But they wanted him to stand on that mountain and declare war on Rome. See, he came demanding that they change their methods of service and their methods of worship. And again, they weren't upset about his good works. They made that clear. They were upset that Christ didn't cater to their definition of religion and actually had the nerve to call them out about it. They wanted him to allow them to continue as they were, but he came making demands for them to change and they wanted no part of it. They were okay with the, with the benefits. They were saying it's not... That's not the good works. You know, that's, that's not what we're upset about. No, it's, it's, it's not that. They wanted the benefits, but they didn't want the demands. And, and you could call this a case of spiritual entitlement. You know, we all know the word, of, uh, of the word entitlement. And entitlement is the belief that one inherently deserves privileges or special treatment just because of who they are. And I don't have to spend much time explaining entitlement to you. It's all around us. It's not rare in our culture for people to have the mindset that they're owed benefits without having to meet any demands. It's all over the place. And I could go into, you know, social reasons and social causes. And, you know, I, I read this illustration, a couple, or a news story a couple years ago about a man named Raphael Samuel. And at the time, he was, I think, 27 years old. And he was suing his parents. And he was claiming that, that he had not 
given them explicit consent to bring him into the world. And he said, because he did not give them explicit consent to bring him into the world, he said, if we are born without our consent, then we should be maintained for our life. We should be paid by our parents to live. It's almost, almost funny, (laughs) but it's true. He wanted his parents to support him the rest of his life because he didn't give explicit consent to his parents to bring him into the world. And as crazy as it sounds, that mentality is everywhere. I am owed benefits. Here's the mentality. I am owed benefits whether or not I earned them. You know, you look at what's happening in Congress with uh, reparations all the way back, 150, 200 years. And, and people, they're trying to give people benefits that, that weren't affected by what happened with slavery. I'm not saying that slavery was a good thing. It's a terrible thing. Um, but, but we have a mentality in our country that says, I am, I am owed something simply because I exist. Not because it affected me, not because it hurt me, not because it affects me even still today, but just because it happened, then I am owed something simply because I exist. You know, this can happen with people's expectations of our government. And don't misunderstand, there are plenty of hardworking people out there with character and responsibility and a lot of people like that right here in this room. But there are those that believe they are owed certain services or certain products based on the simple fact that they reside in this country. And there are others who believe they're owed rights even though, you know, they don't legally live in this country. And I'm all for people living in this country legally, obviously. But those that come in and they don't live here legally to, to assume that there are benefits owed to them simply because they're here and they're here illegally, that's the entitlement issue I'm talking about. See, I know there are times when someone is legitimately in need and, and they need help and due to circumstances outside of their control. That's not what I'm talking about tonight. Entitlement means that you expect to be provided with some form of service or some form of protection or some product, but you're not obligated to do anything at all to earn it. You know, if you get in a job, maybe you get a job and and, and they hire you, and, and before your first day, you decide, you know what, it's really, I don't think I want to work that job, and so you don't go in, or you sleep in, and that before your first day ever starts, they call you and say, no, you're not, you're not going to be working here, because you didn't show up. Well, let's say the job uh, would have paid on Fridays, and so every, the second Friday um, after that you were supposedly hired, you show up to get a paycheck. Well, I'm sorry. That's not how it works. You know, it doesn't work that way in real life. If you don't work, you don't get a paycheck. And I I do feel like, you know, I need to say something about the Biden bucks that have come this year. You know, and I understand the stimulus. I I understand there are people in need. Um, But that 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 does not help the entitlement mentality in our country. And by the way, Biden bucks... If they're increased, I encourage you to tithe on those, but I'm going to move on. Okay. <laughs> I read a story about young, I mean, young people have to guard against this mentality. In August 2011, I read a story about two siblings, Stephen Minor and Catherine Minor, 23 and 20. And they had, in, in 2009, they filed a $50,000 lawsuit against their own mother. It, to, it was tossed out of course, uh, court, of course, thankfully, but 
They were claiming she'd been negligent and caused emotional distress. And what was their mother's crime? Well, these these children sued their mother, Kimberly, for bad mothering because she didn't send her son care packages at college. She refused to buy her daughter a homecoming dress. And she didn't send money in a birthday card to her son. Now, the children were being raised by their father at a million and a half dollar home. And the son presented in court as evidence. This is real, okay? I, I'm, I'm, it's not, I got it on the internet. It's real. <laughs> the son presented in court as evidence this birthday card and a personal note from his mom. And it said, have a great day, exclamation point. Love and hugs, mom, XOXOXO. But the card contained no money, and that was his evidence of his mother's crimes. The mom also had the gall to change her last name when she remarried, and one of the attorneys wrote in the court papers that the siblings didn't see this as an attack against their mom, but the kids reasoned that there must be accountability for her actions. You know, this is happening in our country. And the more that, that people grow dependent on, on pro- provision that they don't earn, the worse the mentality is going to get. It happens in workplaces. People want to be paid and do as little as possible. And you say, I work with some people just like that. So it happens in sports. You know, in our, in our sports culture, everybody plays and everybody gets a medal. And that's not the way it was when I was a kid. I'm just saying <laughs> Because there were plenty of games on my Little League baseball team that I didn't get to play very much. And nobody gave me, no, nobody patted me on the back and told me they were sorry. That's just life. Sometimes if you're not good enough to play, you don't get to. I think it's probably good for our kids to learn that. It's happening in law. People think rules don't apply to them, especially people in government. So I'm going to move on. But, you know, entitlement happens everywhere. It does. But it can also happen in spiritual matters. See, the Jews were happy with the good works that Jesus brought into their lives, but as soon as they admitted to, to his, or as soon as they admitted to his claim of being God, they would have had to submit to the demands that he was making. I mean, think about it, and 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 so, and that's a reason I kind of want to use sometimes on Sunday mornings to people that won't submit themselves to Christ. So, if if you, I'll ask, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And they say, yes, I do. And if that, if they won't submit to Him, then I don't know that they really believe He's the Son of God. Because if you believe, if they believe, the Jews here had said Jesus is God, then they would have been obligated to submit to Him as God. And and that was not something they were willing to do. They they had already made it clear they had different expectations of their king. They weren't going to submit to him, even if he had the works to prove his identity. And we say, well, how dare they treat Jesus Christ that way? But we can have the same mindset in that we can enjoy the benefits, but we don't really like the demands. There are a lot of benefits that come with following Christ. I mean, let's think about them. Salvation. Yeah, we all should say amen. You've got eternal life. I, was, I taught about peace in Sunday school this morning. And the fact that God, Jehovah Shalom, would, 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 would allow us with all the circumstances that are difficult and hard, that he would actually go to the lakes to make sure that we could have peace in our hearts. Just think about that. He's the God of heaven. He doesn't have to be concerned about how I feel about anything. And yet he makes it possible, according to Philippians, for me to have peace that passes all understanding because he doesn't want me to live an unpeaceful life. 
He wants me to have peace. He wants me to sleep at night. He wants me to have inner tranquility and and contentment and rest. He wants that. He provides that. That's a benefit of salvation that you don't get unless you're saved. We have his provision. We have his grace. I was talking to somebody just this morning or just today about God's grace in the difficulties. And can you imagine if you didn't have God on your side when things were hard? Because it seems like things are always hard. Can you imagine, if those of you that have lost people that are close to you, if you didn't have God on your side, in your corner, with his grace being extended to you when things were really hard, in your darkest of moments, do you know how you would have survived? You know, we have great benefits. We have the opportunity for fellowship with God. I mean, it's incredible to think about that. I mean, the president, no president has ever called me. And they should, but they haven't. <laughs> but you know, God reaches out to me every day. His Holy Spirit is prompting me at all times. Every time I open his word and I say, Father, would you speak through your spirit, through the word, illuminate it? He does. He doesn't leave me hanging. I have that provision. I have that benefit from following Christ and being saved. And, and I don't want to take that for granted. I look around the room and I think about more benefits. I think about the friends that I have in Jesus Christ. The people that I, that I in this room, that I love dearly and I, I'm so thankful for. Um, a great church family, people that love my kids, people that love my family. I'm looking I'm down here on the front row and there's some gift bags here for my wife. I'm assuming it's for her birthday. And if it's, if it's Bath and Body Works for me, I'm fine with that. I hope you got the right scent. But I'm thinking, I'm assuming it's for my wife. And I just want to say thank you for loving us. You don't have to do that. You know, those are things that, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't be looking at a gift bag if we weren't in church. You know, that's the fact that you all love us. And those are benefits that we have by following Christ. But there are plenty more people that gladly receive his benefits than there are those that gladly receive his call to holiness. See, a lot of people are willing to accept the benefits. They want what's helpful. They want what's good. They want what helps them. But they're not really all that interested in submitting to God's call to be holy. Or his call to give. Or his call to serve. Or, or the call to self-denial. Or the call to uh, be set apart from the world. You see, everybody wants the, de- the benefits. Everybody wants to enjoy the good things. And all those things are marks of Uh, But all those things that I've just mentioned are marks of discipleship. But how many people claim the benefits without uh, bearing those marks? Probably more than we realize. There are probably a lot of people that just want the good things and and the benefits, but they don't really want it to cost them much. You know, spiritual entitlement takes place when a person receives the benefits of Christ without submitting to the demands of discipleship. I'm going to say that again. Again, spiritual entitlement takes place when a person receives the benefits of the Christ without submitting to the demands of discipleship. And just like the Pharisees, we can get to the place where we expect to enjoy the blessings that come from being saved, but we're not all that interested in submitting to the things that we're asked to change. And I think the expectation is that, you know, it is that it's easy, but never once was a disciple of Christ promised an easy path. And on the other hand, I I think that part of the problem is today's church environment and that too many churches have catered. And I've said this a lot and I'll say it again. I'll probably keep saying it, but a lot of churches have catered to a consumer mentality instead of a disciple mentality. 
And now it, appear, it appears that a shift in thinking has taken place in many, many churches and that people want church to be easy. They want it to just maybe be simply and nicely fit into whatever compartment that they have in their lives, almost like joining a, a social club or joining a sports league um, or, or joining the bowling team. I mean, whatever it is, I mean, I'll come to the practices I can make and I just want to come and have a good time. And they're in it as long as life, their life isn't interrupted. But as soon as God places demands as their king, whoa, I mean, watch out. I mean, I was okay with just coming and sitting in the pew on Sundays, but now I'm supposed to contribute my time I'm supposed to find a ministry and be involved. I, I'm supposed to contribute uh, some of my own money. I don't, I don't know about this. And, you know, that's really what's happening. I'm not going to throw the microphone. Don't worry. I can't throw with this arm anyway. I feel like a T-Rex, you know, just kind of, I don't know. That was bad. Right, right in the serious part of the message, too. You know, there are plenty of things to enjoy when you have a good church. Good programs for kids. And I, I mean, Jace was, and I, I was, was going to say this later, but Jace was telling us last week, he said, I was in class, and I'm going to make it awkward for Miss Sandy because she's interpreting again. I was in class, and Miss Sandy had these grapes, and they were like this big. Because they were talking about, you know, going into the promised land and the clusters of grapes. And, and Miss Sandy, yeah, do you point to yourself when you do that? Yeah, Miss Sandy. Miss Sandy had these grapes and he said they were, he was just telling us about, about the lesson and telling us about how, how she illustrated it and it was real to him. You know, and I'm thankful that we have people in our, in our church that are, that are investing in our kids and we've got a good program and, and I, I'd love to do some more and I think there's some steps we can take, but I'm thankful, I'm thankful um, that, that we have people that love our, love our young people. Brother Samuel and Miss Braille get here and, and they're, going to be, they're going to be investing in our young people. I'm grateful for Brother Heath and Miss Diana. I'm thankful for Brother Chad and Miss Lise and the time that they stepped in um, after Brother Corey left. I'm, uh, it's a blessing. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for music. I mean, just the fact tonight, you know, I was listening to the choir sing the opener and it's just a simple, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. But man, I'm telling you, um, most churches our size don't get to hear choirs like that on a weekly basis. It's a blessing, you know, and I can check spiritual life off my to-do list and clear my conscience sometimes, though, because I'm like, okay, all these things are good for me and helpful for me, and it's like, okay, that's good, but sometimes, you know, the demands, though, they come, and they, they get placed on us. And as soon as those demands get placed on us, as soon as it's not just about the programs and, and the youth group and the good music and, and the enjoyable teaching and, and all the things that help, you know, as soon as there's demands placed, then, then watch out. Churches do themselves a disservice by catering to consumers because that's likely all they'll ever have. And the demands won't be received any more than they were in John 10. And a church becomes a place full of spiritually entitled um, people that just want the demands, but they don't even think about starting. Uh, no, they just want the, de- the benefits, but they don't even want to start giving into the demands. And one of my favorite secular books is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'd recommend that you read it. It's a good one. Well, in it, Stephen Covey talks about the Pareto pr- Principle. 
And the Pareto Principle basically says that 80% of the effects come from 20% of the causes. Or it's probably true in the average church as well. You know, that 80% of, of the things that are really happening in a church are probably being spearheaded by 20% of the congregation. And, and I'm not here to, to measure that. I'm, I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised if in most churches that's the case. That 80% of the, you might say it this way, that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. 80% of the service uh, in production comes from 20% of the members. 20% of the people are the ones actually turning the crank, while the other 80% are spiritually and, and, and listen, I'm not making accusations. I'm just talking about church culture in general. But the 80%, though, are, are spiritually entitled enough to think that they deserve the benefits a good church family offers, but that they don't have to jump in and help turn the crank. You know, they're not giving any more time than's required in services. They're not contributing financially. They don't sign up to serve where they're needed in the nursery or the junior church or outreach. And, and maybe they just really haven't done much. But, and when they do get asked, you know, let's hope there's no rocks around. Because they just might pick one up and throw it for suggesting that they take personal responsibility. And I'm not making accusations of people in this room. Again, I just want you to know, this is a summary of what I would say is happening in modern church culture. And I'm thankful for a church with many members who refuse to be spiritually entitled. But I also think it wouldn't take much to get there. And you think about it, you know, the greatest generation after World War II, it didn't take many generations to lose Whatever that inherent character and inner drive and motivation was of the greatest generation, it's all but gone now. And we're just talking some decades. And I think the turn could be even faster in a church. Because there's a lot fewer people to deal with. And we have a culture that's pushing us from the outside with pressure all the time. And listen, I want to make sure that our mindset never gets to the place where we get so used to the benefits that we lose sight of the fact that, that we have to give in or submit to some demands at times in order to maintain the benefits that we enjoy. You know, I think about a benefit like this nice building. You know, I, I, the first time I, I walked in this room, I was just, I couldn't even talk. I was just amazed at and what God has done right here at 6101 East 49th Street. It's a blessing. You know, that's a benefit. But you know what the demands were to get this building? Faithful, sacrificial giving by God's people. You know, and, and it, listen, and this building, it's still, we, it's still, just because we've built it, you know, doesn't mean we're in the clear. Meaning, as the day that at Eastside thinks, well, we already have the building and it doesn't really require as much sacrifice and giving as it used to, you know, we may not be far away from losing this building. It still requires that God's people are faithfully and sacrificially giving. And honestly, I love this building, but I'm not just content with what we have right here. I would love to expand. I would love to do some more out here. And there's, we've got plans in place. And, and all it takes is a couple few million dollars if you got some. And, and so just bring it by on Tuesday. And Judy would probably take care to the bank for you and everything. Small unmarked bills, please. 
Well, the truth is, though, this didn't happen without people submitting to demands. And we have a great building, beautiful. But you know, in order for it to, remain, to stay great, there has to be a willingness to take care of it. You know, I, I look around and springtime always comes, summer always comes, and, and, and I walk by the flower beds and I, oh, it just kills me to see the weeds coming up. The weeds in the cracks in the parking lot. And Brother Mike uh, Steen was up here spraying on, on Friday and I'm thankful for it. Uh, it takes, it takes brother, somebody like Brother Mike to give in to some demands of his own accord to come up and spray. And I'm just wondering, do we have somebody uh, at Eastside who enjoys the benefit of the building enough that they'd be willing to say, you know what, I'll take care of the rock, of the rock beds and I'll weed it for the, for the summer. I'll get a team together. We'll make sure that those weeds don't pop up. When they do, we'll spray it or we'll kill it. It will be the weed shellacking team. We'll make t-shirts and everything. You know, it t- it's going to take somebody. Frankly, it's going to take somebody that's willing to say, I love the building, I love the benefit, but it's going to take some demands for us to maintain the building, maintain the property. And here's the, here's the issue that comes is, you know, when we, we've got a staff man coming, and I'm grateful for it, he's going to be a blessing, and I, I already love him, I'm grateful for him, and him and Brielle are going to, I think they're going to do great. But the day that Eastside gets so dependent on staff to do everything, that's spiritual entitlement. Could, could Sam, Brother Samuel and I, could we get out there every Friday or Saturday and weed the rock gardens and, and take the weeds out of all the cracks in the parking lot? Absolutely, and we should be willing to. We are. Um, but I'm not sure that's how a church is supposed to operate. I've heard this before. A staff-run church is a staff-ruined church. Meaning that the church members get so used to having a staff that just takes care of all the things that anybody else could that it, it kind of ruins them. I want to encourage you, don't get into that mentality because this, I mean, this building is nice enough. It's a benefit nice enough that we all should be contributing something. You know, I mean, I think about, you know, just taking care of the inside with, you know, food and drink and all of those things. And, you know, we, it takes everybody being willing to submit to the demands because uh, in a lot of churches, you know, you can walk in and, and have coffee and have a latte in the sanctuary and it's no big deal. I wish we could do that. I do. But I'm not, that's not the environment that I'm looking for. And so if we, are, if we want to maintain the beauty of a place like this, we have to be willing to submit to the demands that comes from, from a building maintaining its look like this. We, we've got to be willing to. I mean, just this is such a simple thing. But, you know, one thing that I've noticed a lot once the weather thawed out um, is how much, how much gum is in the parking lot. It's, I was shocked. You know, I was, because I was walking through the parking lot one day, and I, I mean, I was picking it up with my hands, because I'm a man, and I'm not scared of that. I have a, I have a pile of gum in my office, I put on my shelf, just to, because if, you know, if I, no, just kidding, no. <laughs> if I don't have any, and you've got a meeting, so just to remind me, Honestly, to remind me, I know that's a small thing. It may, maybe you don't think about it, but as soon as you kick gum or spit it out in the parking lot and somebody steps on it in their shoe and they walk through the church building with it, and then, you know, it's not just the fact that it's in the carpet now, but it's going to take somebody some time, some real time, 
to clean it out of the carpet. And I would encourage you, you know, if you chew gum and you're used to spitting it out and you say, well, I don't want to chew gum in the building, you know, we got, we got plenty of trash cans around the building. I know that's a small thing. I'm, I hope you understand my spirit. I'm not, I'm not mad about it. Uh, I just think if we're going to have a mentality that's not of spiritual entitlement, you know, somebody with spiritual entitlement might just not think about that. But I don't think Eastside's like that. So let's, let's think about those things. You know, a benefit uh, of our, you know, clean bathrooms. I mean, we all like clean bathrooms, and I, they seem pretty clean, but, you know, we're getting to a place here very soon, and this is not something that I've really communicated with a lot of people, but we're getting someplace very soon and that, uh, the, that the man that has been cleaning our building for a very long time, in the next month or two, uh, he won't be doing that anymore. And, and we're going to have to find some people at Eastside that take ownership enough of the building God's blessed us with that they're willing to say, you know, I'd give an hour or two every week to come and just do part of the clean. You know, I, I'll, I'll take ownership. It's, my, it's our building. You know, we're not mine, but it's ours. It, God blessed us with it. And, and I'd be willing to be on a, on a, on a crew of people that, that help clean the building every week. And you say, well, that's a lot of demands. That means that I'm going to have to come up you know, once before Wednesday service for an hour and maybe mop the foyer or, or the, the entryway or once on Saturday, yeah, two, two times a week you might have to come up. But you know, when you, when you have something that's this much of a benefit, that's not a very high demand. Well, maybe it is. It's not a very high demand because this is a major benefit. Now, are we going to have people that are willing um, just because this is our building that they're going to help clean the bathrooms and have them ready for church on Sundays and Wednesdays. You know, one benefit we have is, you know, we've got, we've got a lot of good teaching going on. I was talking about with Jace and, and his teaching and uh, with Miss Sandy teaching and Miss Rosalind teaching him. And he comes home and he tells us the stories. I'm thankful for the ben- benefits to my children. But you know, the demands of that is every week those teachers are giving hours of their time to get ready for a lesson. Working on their communication skills and and um, overcoming their fears sometimes. You know, for us to continue to enjoy that, then gonna be, there's going to be a day where those teachers are having to step out for one reason or another, and we're going to see how passionate we are about that benefit in our church. Are we going to have people that are willing to step in and take their place and contribute? I'm talking to the men of Eastside Baptist Church. You know, I mean, how many men at Eastside um, could, could stand even here, right here in this pulpit, or stand before other men and give a lesson and, and, and give a devotion or give truth, um, a, a, a truth that matters, a significant truth in front of other people? Uh, I would love to see us develop some more men that could do that. I have some plans in place that, that are going to give us some opportunities to do that. I hope you'll be involved. But it's going to take some demands. It's a benefit, but it's, it requires demands. I think about the benefit here of excellent music. And I, I'm so thankful for those that have practiced and, and those that love music enough that, that they're willing to stay after sometimes and, and practice. And, and I see, you know, our piano players and, you know, Miss Kath a lot of times is she's got lined up specials that she's practicing with. And, and she's giving up time staying after services or others that are practicing through the week for the special music. And we've got about 40 people every Sunday giving up an hour of their Sunday afternoon to practice for choir. I mean, that's 40 man hours and, and woman hours. 40 hours 
uh, of labor. Every Sunday going into the music ministry at Eastside, you don't just get what we get to enjoy, which is a benefit. You don't just get it without demands. Children's ministry, I've already talked about that, but not just in teaching. You know, we have a good children's ministry and good programs. You know, one of some of the demands of that, and this is something I'd love to see us improve on, is, is communicating with your class and making visits and spending time with them outside of the class and, and, and you know, getting creative with, with that and, and investing, not just teaching. And we, we need teachers, but we, we don't just need teachers. We need people to build classes. People that will invest in others and not just not just on Sundays for an hour, but through the week. That's a benefit. But will we have enough that give give into the demands? We've got a benefit, the benefit of strong finances. I'm thankful. I'm so thankful. Every time I pull, I still every time I pull onto the, the property, I look to my left and I see that that shuttle bus and it's a nice bus. And I and I'm I just blown away that that it's because of your faithful giving that we just save a certain amount every month. And when we were ready to buy another, a, a shuttle bus, we didn't have to take a special offering. We didn't have to do anything. It was the money was just there, and we just bought a bus. That's amazing to me. I I think about a couple of weeks ago with Brother Ruckman and and how we were were able to give twenty five thousand dollars to their their church planning efforts over in Africa and and it really it's it's really almost just not even a blip on our missions budget radar. That's amazing. You know that's a benefit. Strong finances, major benefit. This week we're going to be giving. Um, as we have to Heartland, we, we were able to contribute a, a good amount to them, and, and we do that every year. It have been for many years with Brother Spencer, and it'll come out of our missions budget, and we won't, I mean, we won't really feel it. But you know, there's a lot of demands that have gotten us to that point. People willing to submit to consistently give every week. People willing to give and be good stewards of their finances so that they can give. That's a demand, and it's not easy, but people have been doing it for a long time, and we're getting to enjoy it, and I just wonder, what's, what generation is it at Eastside that'll see us lose that benefit, because we're no longer willing to give in to the demands to have the benefit. I think about the benefit of a, just a strong church, and that comes, you know, I think about attendance, I'd, you know, I'd love to see more on Sundays or Wednesday nights, more consistency, but... But I'm telling you, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the, for the growth. I'm thankful for people that are committed. I'm thankful we have a strong church. Uh, with, you know, that right now we're seeing a good effort in discipleship. And it's, man, that just blesses my heart. We've got some people growing and, and they're, they're really taking it in. And I'm just so thankful for it. This summer we're going to be getting back into some blitzing and outreach and that, you know, door hangers and things like that. And, and strong, those are the kinds of things that make a strong church. But it's not just the big things. It's a lot of little things. You know how you have a strong church? is because you've got a lot of mature people that, say, that are willing to overlook offenses. And I didn't think I'd have a lot of feedback there, but I don't think you realize how um, offendable or, or petty or sensitive people, how often they destroy churches. And you have to be, if you want a strong church, that's a benefit. But here's the demand. You have to be willing to overlook it 
when somebody says something you don't like. You have to be willing to not be petty when there's something going on that you could be petty about. You have to make a choice to give somebody else the room to grow. Sometimes you're going to have to make the choice to just eat it and not say something. And if you want a strong church, that's a major benefit, but it requires a lot of demands. And, what, and the demand is that we don't always have to say what's on your mind. You, know, you don't always have to speak back. These are the kinds of things, I'm telling you, you say, well, we speak the truth. Well, the Bible says speak the truth in love, and I'm not sure it's always done in love. And listen, we've got to be careful because those are the kinds of things that if we're not willing to submit to those kind of demands, we might lose the benefit of having a very strong church that's still moving forward and we're still going on for the Lord. And it has been for, I think, almost 60 years now. Boy, I don't want it on my watch to be the time that the, the benefits that we've enjoyed for a long time go, go in the tank. We enjoy these benefits because people have gone before us that were willing to submit to the demands. But it wouldn't take much. I really don't think it'd take much for entitlement, that entitlement mentality to creep in and us lose all that we've received. The culture's telling us to be entitled. You know, our, we're at our workplace. We probably work with entitled people. You know, we go to school with entitled people. You know, let's just decide it's not happening here. You know, we appreciate the benefits so much, but we're, but we're just as serious about the demands. There's one more point here. That which is most beneficial, sorry about that, that which is most beneficial is often most demanding. See, meaning the things we value the most often cost the most. So, you know, your, your house is a good example of that. It's probably your mo- the most expensive thing that you own is your home. And the reason it's expensive is because shelter is important. You got to have a place to sleep and live, and especially in South Dakota, you know it's important. It matters. But I think about again the things that we value the most often cost the most. Think about salvation. You know we value that greatly, but it costs Christ His life. God's demands for redemption were high, and His own Son was willing to meet the, those demands for our benefit. There should be, and I'm just saying this, listen, to our church family, there should be nothing in your life or your family's life that you value any more than your local church. And its, it's impact on the spiritual health of your family is beyond price. You can't put a price tag on it. But I wonder sometimes where it lies on the list of demands compared to everything else. See, I love that people commit hours and years to excel at things like, you know, your career and you've got sports and you've got your hobbies and hunting and fishing, whatever it is. We all have these things, your education, these things that we give to and those things are helpful, but they cannot touch the value of that which contributes to your spiritual life. And I think there are plenty of Christian families that submit to greater demands to be committed to sports or recreation, or a job. And they're not willing to commit to the same level when it comes to their local church. And I'm not saying that's happening here, but I'm preaching it tonight to maybe prevent it from happening in your life. See, your commitment to the demands indicates that which you value the most as the most beneficial. 
And if anything in our lives gets more from us than the spiritual things, then I think we've become like the Jews who obviously valued the physical, the miracles, more than they valued a relationship with Christ himself. See, Christ even makes it clear in this very passage when he says, if I do not the works of my father, verse 37, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. You know what? Christ makes it clear that the works were there for their benefit, both to help them in time of need, but also to give them confidence in who he was and draw them close to him. See, listen, he was using the works as a way to restore broken relationships. And what, here's what Jesus was saying, and I hope you'll get this. My works are meant to draw you closer to the Father. He wants nothing more than a relationship with you. And he was offering way more than a kingdom. He was offering something much better. He was offering a relationship. And the Jews said, we'll keep your works, but we don't want you. Think about it. Jesus Christ is saying, I want to give you more than a kingdom. I'll give you a relationship with God the Father. And they said, we want your works, but we don't want that. And they valued the physical things more than they valued the spiritual things. And listen, friends, I'm asking you, don't embrace the benefits and miss the relationship. Because whatever the benefits are, um, it doesn't touch the fellowship that you can have with Jesus Christ on your own. The greatest benefit you'll ever have is the opportunity to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. And honestly, the demands disappear when you discover the joy of that benefit. Meaning, you get close to Christ and two hours a week to help clean the church is nothing. You, you walk with God the way that you're supposed to and a and hundred flyers on doors in my neighborhood every week, that's nothing. You walk with Christ close enough and if you're teaching a class, you say, I'd give three or four hours to study because this matters and I want this to affect those kids. That, that's important. You know, those hours of study are nothing. You, give, you get yourself close enough to Christ and you realize just how much joy is in that relationship and whatever the demand is, whatever you can think of calling the demand, you're saying, you know what, honestly, it doesn't feel like much of a demand because what I get in return out of my walk with God is so far greater than any demands that I have to give up through the week that it doesn't even feel like a sacrifice. Especially when you consider the fact that he went to a cross for you. You talk about submitting to demands for, for somebody's benefit, and it didn't even really benefit him. I mean, it did, but it benefited us tremendously. So I read this quote Somebody said, once one realizes they're entitled to nothing, they become grateful for everything. Art Rainier said that, and, and I think it's great. Once one realizes they're entitled to nothing, they become grateful for everything. And listen, you, we all deserve hell. And Christ stepped in and, gave, and changed the course of our eternity. And when you think about it that way, there's no demand on my life that feels all that big. The fact that you even have an opportunity to experience the joy of knowing God should be enough to erase the seeds of entitlement in your heart. Accept the benefits, enjoy them, but submit to the demands. And as you do, you'll find yourself enjoying even more benefits than you ever thought possible. 
Let me close with a few questions. Have you grown weary of the demands? If you've grown weary of the demands, it's likely because you've lost sight of the benefits. You've forgotten how good it is to follow Christ. And I want to ask you, maybe just focus again on the benefits of enjoying Christ. Two, have you been striving for the wrong benefits? In that you've, like the Jews, yet you've kind of placed your priority on physical things. And there's, you know, money or your job or your career, your hobby, this or that you've got going on. You've been chasing the wrong benefits. You've switched a priority and you've placed more value on physical things instead of the spiritual. Well, it's time to fix that again. Third, has a wrong focus created an attitude of entitlement? And that you've become more aware of what you're owed than you are what you can contribute. Good, helpful questions as we try to avoid this trap of spiritual entitlement. If you value the benefits, be willing to submit to the demands. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Have an opportunity to respond tonight. I hope we're a church full of those willing to submit to the demands. Friends, if we want to keep the benefits, and there are a tremendous amount of them, if we want to keep them, we're going to have to give in to some of the demands. And there are some that need to take a step in your commitment level. And maybe you've got some other areas in your life you're very committed to. But when it comes to your local church, you're trying to figure out even right now, well, how am I really contributing? I maybe have become a spiritually entitled church member. God, would you help me not to be that? Father, I pray that you'd have your way in our hearts. Lord, Holy Spirit, we we do ask that you would illuminate the scripture tonight, that this would be more than just motivational, that it would be convicting, and that you would help each of us to come to terms with maybe where we're at and where we should be. Lord, help us to all contribute. Help us to be willing to submit to the demands because the benefits of what we have here at Eastside far outweigh anything that we're demanded of. But not only that, Our walk with God is so good that the demands don't feel very demanding. Pray that you'd help us, Lord, to have our focus where it needs to be. Help us not to be spiritually entitled. Lord, have your will and way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.